Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at RightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Sharon, how was lunch? Oh, it was good. Yeah, yeah, it was good here at the NCANA, SCANA meeting. I know. We have podcasted all morning. We have, but yeah. it's so nice. Did you even walk into the meeting hall or just to the exhibit hall? I went down to the exhibit hall. I okay. didn't walk in. I, I did actually look in there. It's pretty full. It it's is nice. pretty full. Yeah. Yeah. Socially yeah. distanced. Socially distanced. People were masked. Everybody's wearing masks. Mm-hmm. I can't recognize half the people. I'm not like you guys. You know, you can you I recognize know. people from their forehead and their eyes. And <laughs> that's a that's a not a skill that I've mastered at this yeah, point. Well, yet, so. you'll get better at it. <laughs> if we have to, to keep stay. on, if we have to keep on wearing masks, that's for sure. Well, I think for the the distant future here, that's probably the case. Mm. So. Well, we have our wonderful guests with us again today, Sandy Ouellette, Nancy Marie. Welcome back. Thanks. Good uh, to be back. Even huh? down at lunch, people were stopping me and saying how much they're enjoying Good. the historical series. Yeah. That's awesome. They stopped us, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they did. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, we're going to talk about another one of your favorite ladies of anesthesia. You know, I don't want to call them ladies of the night or anything. I'll call them uh, <laughs> ladies of anesthesia. Oh, it's kind of uh, like when Brett went to school whenever he was in kindergarten and told him his mama was a call girl. She didn't come home at night sometimes. <laughs> I leave oh, it to Lord. a child. You were on call, I guess. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. a girl who was on call. I wasn't a call girl. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. Out of the mouths of babes. Mm. Well, I don't think our historical segment would be complete without discussing ANA former president Helen Boss. Absolutely. And do you know why? Well, I'm going to learn about it today. I know, but there's a but special reason. But Helen Boss reason. was a local. Right. But did you know that she also mentored these two ladies? I did not know that. She was our mentor and ended up being the greatest friend 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was just a wonderful teacher, a wonderful wow. person. In fact, she had something to do with all of our lives. Absolutely. All the she CRNAs spoke at and, my graduation. Yeah, too. she spoke at your graduation. She did quite a few of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, isn't that funny? Because, you know, we got two A&A presidents who were mentored by her and another A&A president she spoke to. Yes. And then they were my mentors. So yeah. think about so it. That It was it just passed. It was passed down. I still have letters that Helen Voss wrote to me and to my daughter whenever Danielle was diagnosed with diabetes. Mm. And she always donated to the walkathon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She sure did. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. Well, Sandy, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about maybe Helen's early life. Okay, so... Helen was the fourth daughter of John and Bertha Voss. She was born on a farm in South Central Iowa. And the county was Mahaska County, Iowa. And her birthday was July 10th, 1914. And we remember that because Dick and I were married on July 9th. In 1914? (laughs) It just seems that way to him probably, but no, um, in uh, 1994. And that happened to be Helen's 80th birthday then, and they had a big party for her the next day, and there were a lot of A&A people at our wedding. So they just stayed over, and our wedding was one day, and her birthday party was the next. But when she was born, you have to think of what the world was like then, remember? Um, It was 1914. It was before really World War One. It was before A&A. It was before Frank versus Mm Scythe and all the things that Mm -hmm. really evolved and shaped the A&A. But back to her early life. Some unusual and experimental means were used to bring Helen into this world. It was apparently a very difficult birth, and it was ergot. And it was recorded that the doctor told the young, anxious father, John, things are looking grave. Something must be done quickly if we're to save the baby. The father pleaded, saying, isn't there something that can be done? The doctor responded, I have something I have never tried before. That's always encouraging, isn't it? Mm. I've never tried before. It is a drug that has been made from the fluid of a cow's wound that has just thrown her calf. I've been told this may cause the contractions to expel the baby. It is called ergot. I cannot promise you it will be successful, but can I give it a try? The father bowed his head and gave his consent. And you can imagine the anxious minutes that passed as he walked the floor. But eventually, all was well as he heard the strong cries, Helen Voss entered the world. And so, in the very beginning, she was making medical history. Yeah. She was using a very experimental drug uh, there. From She lived on a farm. The father raised cows. They had one that had... um, that had thrown a calf, and so they had it readily available. And I don't know how they mixed it up and gave it to her, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's more than I need to know, yeah. actually. But, oh, but it seemed goodness. to work. Huh. And uh, so she grew up in a hardworking Dutch family. And one of the things important, she always insisted that her name was Voss with one S. And she would really have a fit if you spelled it with two S's, Hmm. because that is the German spelling for Voss, Mm -hmm. and she was Dutch. And so I have a good friend in the Netherlands, uh, Jaap Hoekman, who was a former president of IFNA, as I was. And I asked him one time, I said, what is the meaning of Voss in Dutch? And he said, it means fox. I said, ooh. So Fox is clever, crafty person. And, you know, I think about it, and that she was. Mm-hmm. She grew up 10 miles from the first school she attended and went to school either by walking or in a horse-drawn carriage each week. 
She had three older sisters, Martha, Gertrude, and Jean, which I never did know. Uh, They were much older, and they didn't have very much in common with Helen. But her two brothers, Otto and Clarence, Otto was a farmer in uh, Pella, Iowa, and Clarence was a minister. And uh, his wife was named Jean, and Otto's wife was named Judy. And I did know them very well Mm -hmm. um, during the years that that Helen lived. And she was very close to her brothers throughout her life. Her childhood, there's not much written about that, but she always seemed to have a spirit for adventure and a love for telling stories. She could tell any story Mm -hmm. and capture your attention from beginning to end. That is true. She had a flair that it was absolutely irresistible for those around her not to listen to her story. Now, in Winston-Salem, she became a devout Moravian, and she went to home church, home Moravian church. And they have a lot of things around Christmas and different holidays and Easter. And she always read the Christmas story for one of the historical Mm -hmm. buildings that they have down there. And everybody would try to sign up when Helen was there because she would capture the attention of even the smallest child as she read that story. She was able to find the unusual in everything. She could point out the unnoticed, whether it would be a rare bird you might see or some type of little wildflower on a road you were walking that, you know, you would have missed for sure. And she really was a very religious woman, and she found God's beauty in new ways and really delighted her listeners with uh, her anecdotes. So seeing the world through Helen's eyes was a wonderful experience. And the same thing about anesthesia and the physiology and the anatomy and the pharmacology. Seeing all this through her eyes was really a wonderful experience. Because when she began teaching, we really didn't understand really about, for example, nerve conduction and polarity and depolarization and repolarization. We gave the muscle relaxants, but we really didn't know how they worked. Mm -hmm. And nobody really understood how to read a three-lead EKG. Mm -hmm. We had maybe one EKG for a whole operating room, but we might as well not have had any because nobody knew what it said. And so she was able to break that down in little pieces so that everybody could understand it. Of the six children, they clearly, clearly knew the meaning of hard work. She said that her father, and I quote, provided the grain and brought and raised the cattle and pigs, and the family divided up the work. She remembered milking from one to four cows twice per day, but said life on the farm was very good. And uh, when I graduated from school under her directorship and teaching, she taught almost all of our classes for Nancy and I both. And, you know, Nancy and I thought we started teaching together we had died and gone to heaven because now it was two of us. Mm-hmm. But Helen did it all, you know. Yeah. But I had joined this club, and I was doing <clears throat> the weight machines. And I said, Helen, you got to come see these machines. And so she looked through the window one day, and she looked at them, and she said, nope, looks too much like an hour farm to me. And she said, I spent my <laughs> life getting away from that, and I don't want to go back. <laughs> and, um, uh-huh. and her grandparents were from the Netherlands. And it was interesting that all of the children spoke Dutch, and she was fluent in, ju- in Dutch, really? even into the time that she died. But when they turned four, the father required they all learn English 
because he insisted the children must speak English to be able to go to school and succeed in school since they were living in America. And boy, I do wish that all the parents that immigrate here would really insist upon that these days. It would be great that mm-hmm. the children would, would learn English. But that, that is pretty much, a, and she was, a, she was a, not an obese woman, but a large, you know, Husky. Meaty. Large, large, Iowa girl. Yeah, large, uh, an Iowa farm girl yeah. is what she yeah. was. Yeah. And um, and uh, never married. She never yeah. married, never mm-hmm. had children, of course. And um, so that's her early background. So, Nancy, why don't you tell us about her education, her military career, and how she wound up becoming a CRNA? Well, I want to say one thing before I do this. Mm-hmm. I was talking about cows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Helen told me one time that back in... I was in school, I guess, in the days that pantsuits became great for women to wear. Mm -hmm. And Helen went home to Iowa. I think her mother had passed away, but her dad was there. And she put on her pantsuit one morning, and she thought, she said, I was really worried about going downstairs and what my dad was going to say to me. Mm -hmm. But she did. And she said he looked at her and said, it's too bad they didn't have those for girls when you were milking the cows. Because <laughs> it got so cold in sure, Iowa, sure. you know, in the oh, winter. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, but anyway, as far as her education was concerned, her completion of a conventional eighth grade from Peoria Christian, Peoria Christian School coincided with the crash of the stock market. Mm-hmm. And so that caused attendance at school to be impossible for her for a while. Uh, she wanted to be a nurse. In her early teens, she attended Grundy Academy, a Christian high school, which was 80 miles from her home. And she worked for her room and board, and she finished high school actually at Pella Community High School. Following high school, she entered Deaconess Hospital School of Nursing in Marshalltown, Iowa, and earned her registered nurse, I assume, diploma, and then worked for Dr. Sinning in Melbourne, Iowa, where she learned a lot about medical diagnosis. After Pearl Harbor, Helen entered the military service by joining the Army Nurse Corps. She spent time in Alaska, Hawaii, and Atlanta, Georgia from 1942 to 1946 and credited military service with her interest in the field of anesthesia. In the Army, she administered anesthesia and was taught by the surgeons. She felt, however, that she didn't really get a proper education in nurse anesthesia. So after leaving the military, after being discharged, she pursued studies in anesthesia and graduated (coughs) first from Calvin College with a BS degree and from the University of Michigan Hospital of Anesthesia in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I told Sandy this last night when she was in the military, and you won't know this person, but she taught a physician anesthesiologist whose last name was Artuzio. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a physician then, but she taught him to give anesthesia. And he was the one who did all of the clinical trials on Penthrain once he went to med school mm-hmm. and became an anesthesiologist. Now, now I, I, they still had Penthrain handhelds <clears throat> whenever... I was in school. I think they're still around some. I don't know anybody using them. But if you go and Google online, it'll show you some updated mm-hmm. copies of them. I don't know where they're used or if they're even used in this country. Did, now, <laughs> did they have vaporizers of Penthrain? Oh, yeah. Y'all use Ma- Yeah, we use that. It, uh, it was, uh, the the other name was... for it was uh, methoxyfluorine. It's yeah. a halogenated ether. Okay. And its blood solubility coefficient is 12, it's and that's not, a, that's not a misstatement. Point two? Yes, and, uh, it, and so once you got 
methoxyfluorane into these people, it was there a week, oh. and it smelled like juicy fruit chewing gum. And um, I think I remember you telling me. Uh, yeah, that. and it uh, and of course it went away because after a while, because we're using such high doses, because we didn't want to give muscle relaxants, because we didn't have any good muscle relaxants, and it was an ether, so you got muscle relaxation. So we gave a lot of it to relax. So they didn't wake well. up for a long and time. They didn't wake up for a long time. But in addition to that, there were some people that their kidneys were damaged. They had a high output renal failure, and it's from right. fluoride toxicity. Uh-huh. So it, it released fluoride. And um, so fluoride dilates and redistributes blood from the outer renal cortex to the inner medulla, and it gets a wash out of that hypertonic interstitium. So it makes sense. It leads <coughs> to a high output, output renal failure. They can't concentrate the urine anymore. Hmm. Uh, but that's why we don't have much of it anymore. Well, what the purpose of those handhelds was... Uh, Labor, energy. Yeah. I remember I was a nursing student, and I was the labor coach for my cousin, and she retained part of the placenta, and they had to go in to get it out, and they gave her a penthrain handheld yeah. vaporizer, and so she would go to sleep, and her hand yep. would fall away. And so See, that worked then, when it was just the patient in the room. Yeah. But when families and all started that, showing oh, up, yeah, then they start they'll hold it, it on for them. <laughs> you know, let me help you with that. And then they get too much. That's true. Uh, but from what Nancy said, you know, Helen became interested in anesthesia in the military. You look back, there's a lot of people that became interested in anesthesia in the military. Right. My husband, for mm-hmm. example, who grew up in the Massachusetts around the Harvard system, he, he didn't have a high degree of respect for what nurse anesthetists did when he was in nursing and all of that. And so when he joined the Air Force, he was sent to Orlando to a base there, and he was made, uh, Captain Ouellette was made the OR supervisor. And so the first day, they were bringing all the patients down, and um, he wasn't calling. Uh, and so they had the patients there, and everybody was standing around. Well, Captain Ouellette, when can we start? He said, well, as soon as the anesthesiologist arrives. And this little guy behind him was saying, no, no, no. Come on, don't say that. And um, But anyway, what he learned was there was no anesthesiologist at the base, had never been an anesthesiologist at that base. And I think it was a Colonel O'Neill mm-hmm. that was giving the anesthesia. And so um, she asked him, she said, Captain, what do you think I do? He said, you tape IVs and fix IV fluids. And he went through the things that he saw people doing, you know, in the big mass system, which is not the case now. They mm-hmm. do a lot. But um, anyway... And uh, so he said from that day forth, he knew that he was going to be a nurse anesthetist. Hmm. So he went through school and that happened. When he finished his second term as president, the second time, the first to be elected twice as ANA president, he had a little note and a little gift, and it was signed, Colonel O'Neill. And what she said was, who would have ever thought that all nurse anesthetists did was tear tape and prepare IV bottles, would become president of ANA, not only once, but twice. Congratulations, uh. Captain Willett. So a lot of people found their way into our field, you know, with their military experience. Yeah, yeah that's very so. true. Well, Sandy, tell us about Helen's career in anesthesia and her work in training nurses to give anesthesia in Pakistan. Okay, so Nancy said, you know, that she now has become a nurse anesthetist, and um, 
she became the director of the School of Anesthesia at Hurley Hospital in Flint, Michigan. And that was from 1950 to 1954. And I'm thinking about, you know, where was I then? I was in the fourth grade. Yeah. I was in the fifth grade about then. So anesthesia was far from my mind at that time as she was just starting, you know, as director of the first program. It was at that hospital that she met a Dr. Rice who was really a, a missionary surgeon. And she became aware of the great need for training nurses for anesthesia in Pakistan. So she went with him and served at the United Christian Hospital in Lahore, West Pakistan, from 1954 to 1958 with Surgeon Rice, his wife, and family. And it was stated in some of the notes that I have about Helen, she was to set sail from New York Harbor going to Pakistan. And her family was there to see her off. It was a close-knit Dutch family. And she remembers Father John wiped a tear from his eye and said she was saved for a purpose. Yep, she was saved at that birth for a purpose. Hmm. So when returning to the U.S., she was there for four years. She discovered that the adjustments to the affluence in this country was nearly as great as adjusting to Pakistan poverty four years earlier. She said only 8% in Pakistan were literate, but the people were very eager to learn, and nursing students had to study English in addition to their nursing classes because there was not enough written in their own language. They didn't have books in their own language. And she commented on her return, and I heard her say it many, many times over the years, each one in America should be a missionary. We need so little in this country, we have even lost the art of prayer. And that's sort of a, a quote. And she said it was, it was very difficult coming back. And it reminds me of a friend when I was um, one of my first third world trips to uh, Malawi, Africa, working with uh, the late Dr. Anna K. Mersing, who um, was the, eventually became president of the World Federation Society of Anesthesiology. She was the first and probably only female president of that group. But I stayed with her for a little over a week there, and we offered some courses and things for the people in uh, Malawi. And one night she had a dinner, and she invited an American nurse that was in the Peace Corps. And this particular person had come to dinner, and she was doing a lot of studies on malaria. And that's why she was in malaria, uh, was there at the time. And um, she was telling me that she remembered <clears throat> going from one of these third world countries one time and arriving at JFK. And all she could think about is the wheels were coming down and landing. She wanted an ice cream cone. Right. She was just dying for an ice cream cone. So as soon as she got off, she got in line at this little place where she'd get ice cream. Well, there was a man in front of her that absolutely had ordered some kind of chocolate chip ice cream, and they were out of that flavor. He absolutely decompensated Mm -hmm. because (laughs) they offered that, and they don't have it. And he turned around and was sort of, laying that all on her and she looked him in the eye she said i just came from a country where people would like to have any type of ice cream of any flavor just one time in their life 
So this man shut up and left. <laughs> and she got up to get her ice cream cone. The man said, I don't know who you are, but this is on the house. <laughs> and and I, I remember that. The eyes was affected people. Because I remember my first trip to Malawi. I'd never seen anything like it. There right. were potholes big enough that would take up Volkswagens, you know, uh-huh. and, and the whole trip. And so I, I can imagine what she went through then. But her mission board would pay her way home by the shortest route. So she said, I decided to, quote, transfuse the ticket. She had gone to Pakistan by freighter boat and came home by visiting friends by air and stopped on the way to Nepal, Thailand, Hong Kong, Japan, and Hawaii. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. On her return from Pakistan, she accepted the offer to become the educational director of the Anesthesia School for Nurses at Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. And that was uh, from 1958 to 1964. She became very involved during those years with AANA and was elected to the AANA board in 1964. It was that same year in 1964 that she took another job, and that job brought her to North Carolina Baptist Hospital Bowman Gray School of Medicine to our nurse anesthesia program. And I entered school in 19—I uh, graduated in 1969, so 66, and so she was my program director at that time. And she served as director until her retirement in 1976, and— uh, During that time, there was an article that I still have a copy of that was written in our little hospital mm-hmm. news bulletin, and it described her vividly. It said, "Miss Voss is Dutch, direct, dedicated, and decisive. I can tell you as students, we did not want to cross HPV. That's what we call her. Her name was Helen Pauline Voss. And we <laughs> HPV use HPV. means we something say, totally different today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction. Yeah, well, it was, it, there's another was, one for that. <laughs> Helen Pauline Voss. Um, she was blonde, fair, and it said in the article, the most travel, more travel than most tour directors. Sit her down in the Netherlands. And she looks like she belongs there, and she speaks the language. She is a sought-after speaker and has that difficult-to-define something called platform presence, mm-hmm. and she did. A thorough knowledge of her subject and ability to discuss it without seeming to lecture. Staff members at the hospital find her easy to work with but very resolute. She is thorough, quite efficient, and able to separate essentials from non-essentials. She smiles easily and maintains her Midwestern accent against all comers, 
even Southerners. <laughs> and a, a couple stories with her. When she retired, she was well-known throughout and did a lot of state meetings mm-hmm. and regional meetings. And she started eventually incorporating, she would do the physiology and she would want me to do the anesthesia applied practice or she would have Nancy do it or should have Lynn Callahan do it. So the three of us teamed up with her and worked very, very closely. And, you know, I hated speaking then. I just hated it. But she was standing in the back of the room, and she'd try to give you little hand signals mm-hmm. here and there. And, you know, I always talked too fast and tried to say too much in a short period of time. <clears throat> and one time I vividly remember she was going, what she meant for me to do was slow down, put the hand down, slow down. <laughs> I talked softer and faster, you know, after, <laughs> after that. And she was so aggravated going back on the plane that night. But And you never lost that uh, <laughs> talking I never lost fast. That Whenever I was in school, Jeremy, she had been put on labetalol for her blood pressure, and we loved it whenever they would up her dose because it would kind of slow her down just oh. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and I was on more than that. I was on beta blockers and calcium channel blockers. See, you need to come live at my house. I'd have you cured. That's right. Just like my I'm, mother-in-law. I'm, I'm considering that, yes. And, uh, but this thing about Dutch, direct and decisive. The other story I wanted to say, which I thought was classic, when I first arrived at this anesthesia department as a student, 67 to 69, I guess mm-hmm. it was. And um, so it was funny because there was no anesthesiologist there, right. really. There was Dr. Henry Turner, who was mm-hmm. a resident, and he taught himself. I yes. think I've said that in a previous podcast. But then Dr. Tom Irving came, the late now Dr. Tom Irving. Mm-hmm. And he came, and he was collecting titles, he really wanted to. He was a good mm. man. I take nothing from him, but he, he wanted. So Helen went on vacation one time oh, for, I think for I about two summer. weeks, and when she came back, she was called into the administrator's office and said, "Well, we've had a meeting since you've been gone, and it's been decided that Dr. Irving will become the director of the nurse anesthesia program." And she said, oh, really? He said, but don't worry. You're going to be doing all the things you've always done, which is teaching the entire content, number one, occasionally doing cases, number two. And so anyway, he said, uh, so nothing's going to change. And so she sat there for a minute, and she said, "Um, well, it's now 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. Where should I send the files? He said, what files? She said, with the title, go the student files. Mm -hmm. You get it all not just part of it. So that was the end of that. <laughs> you know, she, Irving never became the director of the nurse anesthesia program while she was there, and they've been CRNA program directors since. But she was direct, and she could handle things like that without mm. any, any problem. Well, that was pretty crafty. Yeah. That was clever. Yeah, I, I mean, she, he, was. She, she didn't get in your face, not confrontational, just mm. matter of fact, okay, well, then this is what you get. Yep. And... They never expected that. No. They expected her to go on and do everything she was doing. Uh Uh-huh. But he would have the title. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she had a way of taking care of things, you know. And, Lord, one of the things as a student, we didn't want to get on her wrong side. You know, (laughs) we'd sneak around and do things and hope we didn't get caught. And we didn't get caught. We'd always have a party every six months because we were accepting a class every six months. And we'd always have a party but we hope that Helen didn't show up. <laughs> well, wait. Now, the, all right, so there's a disconnect here because we would have parties, but Sandy was there. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or she was the one having the party. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the truth is um, 
Helen was a bit older than I, but when I became program director, see, I graduated early at age 24, 25 mm-hmm. from the nurse anesthesia program. That was in 69. I became director in 82. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people like Nancy's uh, our, my age, but she started anesthesia later. Mm-hmm. So the people that were coming in to the school were more my age, mm-hmm. you know. And so I didn't separate as much as she did. No, and, I neither. Yeah. But yeah. after a while, I couldn't keep up with the youngsters anymore, so <laughs> so I did. And, and, uh, but anyway. Well, I think that is a good thing. I mean, I can remember after being accepted, and we all came to your house mm-hmm. for a cookout yep. mm. right after we all found out. Then that was so all of us could meet each other. Yeah. And yeah. Sandy was always wherever we were at. Yeah, I tried. It's like we grew up together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I tried to do a cookout at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then I tried to do a little something, a reception or or a cookout at the end, at the house. I think today I would be a little more resident to do yeah, that. Yeah, because uh, Nancy and I, in fact, were talking about that last night. She did the same thing for her students mm-hmm. in Raleigh, but now if there's a occasional one that's there and they drink too much. And yep. then they get hurt on the way home, and it becomes a problem. Yep. I, I think you have to be a lot more careful. Well, I've seen you? Nancy yeah. put one of her students in a wheelchair at a meeting that was so drunk. <laughs> she couldn't walk and take her to the room. But one day, you know, they, nobody's worried about if I wrote anything down. They're worried about the pictures because I was an avid photographer. <laughs> and I have some pictures of Nancy Marie that if they ever get out... <laughs> From a said annual meeting. (laughs) We all have those pictures somewhere. Uh, (laughs) But uh, did you know Nancy's a clogger? She can clog. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, you'll have to see it someday. (laughs) Do you still clog? Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to tell Pierce tomorrow night at the pack event. (laughs) Yeah. To play it. So, Nancy, let's get back to Helen here. Talk about her service to the AANA and the profession in general so that our listeners will know. Okay, but I have to tell you what she told my class. Yeah? I don't know why she, she did this. I don't know what happened or anything. But I remember she walked in the classroom, and we were all sitting there, very quiet, organized. And she said, there's one thing about you girls you don't know how to walk down the side of the hall. You always walk down the middle. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. And we did. Hmm. And you never know why she said that. Mm-mm. I never knew, but she always said so we went down the middle. Huh. So I don't know why she said you that. You must have done something to aggravate her. I'm sure we did. <laughs> Listen, I, we have one in our class that that was the most disorganized human being I've ever known in my entire life. Helen was not disorganized. Uh-huh. And she also always got in the classroom at exactly the time we were going to have class. So one day she walks in where she's like this because all her papers are flying everywhere, you know, and sits down. And that entire pile of papers fell all over the room. I thought Helen was going to die. I mean, if I, if it had been me, I would have gotten up and left and never come back. Mm-hmm. But that it was just awful. But anyway, oh, it was funny. funny, but we didn't laugh. 
No. <laughs> okay. Well, hell of service <laughs> to the AANA. She did a lot of committee and council work. She served many years on the Education and Curriculum Committee. She was a member of the Committee to Develop Guidelines for Degree Programs in 19, from 1972 to 1977. She was also a member of the ANA Search Committee for the Executive Director in 1976-1977. That was for John Gard, wasn't it? Uh-uh. Uh, Jay Martin Stone. Oh, Jay Martin He was Stone. the okay. first until now the only non-CRNA Executive Director. Okay. And he didn't, he didn't last there very long. But. He didn't. I remember him vaguely. Mm-hmm. She was also a member of the ANA Council on Practice, which became the public interest, mm-hmm. which isn't anymore, uh, from 1974 to 1977. She was a trustee for the ANA Board of Directors for four years, and that was before we had regional directors that were called trustees. And she became ANA president in 1996, uh, 1966. Yeah. So she was she was president when I graduated from nursing school. Anyway. In watchful care at that, the current watchful care, the presidents that were living at the time left a message, and she said, this is our 35th year. We owe the founders of AANA a word of thanks. Some are with us today and speaking for the entire membership. To all of those who gave us a good beginning, we express our gratitude for your efforts and sacrifices. Later, after she left the Board of Directors, she was awarded the Agatha Hodgins Award for Outstanding Accomplishments in 1979, and then the Helen Lamb Outstanding Educator Award in 1996, and the Dana Miller Memorial CRNA Award for Excellence in 1991, and that was the first one of those awards that was was given. Oh, listen, I've got to tell a story about Helen Voss whenever she won the Helen Lamb Award, because... I used to do Sandy's makeup mm-hmm. um, for the banquet every year whenever yeah. I was a student and for a number of years afterwards. So I went to your room, mm-hmm. Sandy, because mm-hmm. Helen was in there, and I was doing Helen's makeup, too, uh-huh. for that. And so she, before she spoke, she was worried about her, you know, your mouth gets dry sometimes, and yeah. she didn't want her lips to stick to her teeth. And so I told Helen, I said, you know, I'm old beauty pageant girl. You put Vaseline on your teeth so they're slick. And so right before she gets ready to go up there, she's like, she wants me to come over because I have Vaseline for her to put on her teeth. And she did. <laughs> before she went up on stage. She was so cute. Oh, that is funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Well, Sandy, you know, it's been said that she is was a great teacher. And, you know, you kind of mentioned maybe she should be named the mother of continuing education. You want to explain that? Yeah, I think so. You know, we have the mother of nurse anesthesia. Now, the ASA has mm-hmm. a different mother of anesthesia and we don't talk about her but our mother of anesthesia 
was Alice McGall that mm-hmm. we've talked about before. And the mother of nurse anesthesia education was Helen Lamb. Mm-hmm. But we never named anyone that would be like the uh, mother of nurse anesthesia continuing education because that started much later, really, in the 1970s. But following Helen's retirement in 1976, she became self-employed. And I followed that path just like she did. So she was self-employed as a lecturer and coordinator for a refresher course. So that included myself and uh, Lynn Larson Callahan and Nancy Marie again. And so that was one of the, if not the first, one of the earliest re-entry mm-hmm. courses in this country. And it was the only one that we had. And so after Helen dropped out, I dropped out of it for a while, but then we brought it back. Karen Ploss asked us to look, uh, have a relook at it. And so we did. And for about 10 years or more, it was sort of a private entity that I did with Mary Carlette and Nancy Marie. And then when they added simulation as a requirement, it seemed like it was the right time to transition this re-entry course back to the medical school mm. nurse anesthesia program. So now they take care of everything, but they do. Con- uh, Nancy and I do contract work with them, and we teach 70 hours out of the 100 hours Ooh, for this re-entry course. So I've never lost sight of how important this is. It's just a few people, but she, she did that. But the other thing is, in addition to this being the first uh, reentry course for out of practice, she was a sought after speaker by state associations where she taught physiology, pathophysiology, and pharmacology and EKGs. And then she would drag the rest of us along <laughs> to do the relevance and to correlate that with applied practice. And she mentored us, and she taught us, you know, how to speak. And and in those days, we all had overhead projectors. Mm -hmm. And then later, it progressed to slides. And then after that, of course, we got the Internet. You know, you just can't beat that. That's just fun uh, to do. But she she continued her lectures through 1982. And uh, one of the things that she taught me early on, she said, Sandy, you need to keep a full CV. And uh, every lecture, every publication, I thought, well, I'm not doing anything. What in the world would I write on it? But that was back in 1976, 1977. But I did what she said. I always did what Helen Helen said. And today, that is, I think, 69 pages long with Mm -hmm. about 900 Mm -hmm. presentations and 100 publications and books and it's so good to have that. And all in one to, spot. All in one spot. And I can let go. Someone said, well, when did Ski and Learn Conference um, start? I can tell them because I can go back and look because yeah. I spoke at that first meeting in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's been very helpful, but that's just one of many lessons. And you told us that. I've done the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It's, it's very important to keep that for professional people, I think. And um, a note I found from one of our students Thank you, Helen, for coming to our fall meeting in Sioux City. Your presentation on EKG was most helpful. I've always felt I got there late, and there were some elementary things that weren't adequately explained. This time I came home feeling, wow, I think I've got it all. And so I think if the profession had ever named a mother of continuing education, it should have been Helen Voss because Mm -hmm. she started really moving it forward through our state associations and everything about the time we recognized as a profession that you can't certify somebody for life. There must be some type of recertification period and process. And she was that person that did that. 
She was often, you said you spoke, Sharon, at your graduation. Uh, she spoke at a number of, of graduations. And um, in one, she said, as you begin your career in anesthesia, I hope that you will say, with the help of God and my fellow man, I will be the best anesthetist I am capable of being, not better than other nurse anesthetists, but better than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that was one of the, one of the things that she said. In one of the last talks she gave, I drove her to Dick, and she gave when uh, Dr. Mary Carlett was program director, she gave that that graduation address down there, and that was just days before she totally lost her sight in her late 80s. And for the last four years that she lived, she was totally blind. So you can imagine mm-hmm. a woman total sight until 89 years of age, and then living in total darkness the rest of her life Jeez. but a, a very sad thing for a great woman mm. so when did we lose miss voss there was a celebration of life for her in november 2007 and i've forgotten i don't think i wrote it down her exact date that she passed on but that service was held on on november the third and so nancy can you tell us a little bit about that no were you not there (laughs) actually i could not go because it was a state meeting that's right that's right and um, betty could betty petrie couldn't be there a lot of people that wanted to it was here if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. in Asheville. Mm -hmm. but we were probably at the grove park then yeah we had things that we had to do at the meeting so no i did not get to go to her service but she did speak at the graduation in raleigh just before she did the one at duke so it was probably the next to the last Mm -hmm. graduation address that she gave and she was outstanding she said the first experience that she ever had with anesthesia was her father got called by the farmer next door to drop ether because his son had to have an appendectomy and they did it on the kitchen table and she was there and watched it wow yeah her father and now they worry about if their pillow's soft enough (laughs) (laughs) i go to i go to pinehurst and work which is a very affluent part of north carolina mm-hmm. and they're That's where i was born worried about the pillow not yeah. being soft <laughs> but as far as i was supposed to talk a little bit about her being the best teacher she really was the best i had a lot of really good i was fortunate enough to have a lot of good teachers and had family members who were teachers but helen was probably i would say the best teacher i ever had and i still to show you what kind of teacher she was there's still things in my life that will be said to me Mm -hmm. and the first thing that will pop in my head was how Helen used that word for example when she talked about the pituitary the pituitary was always colored red Mm -hmm. so anytime I see red the first thing that comes to my mind is the pituitary and I think I've told you this before. She, one of the ways that, you know, back in the old days when we did anesthesia, we kept our hand on the pulse, even though we did have an earpiece and we could listen to the heartbeat and all that. But the way Helen made me afraid never to take my hand off that pulse is she said she was doing a case one day, and it was a mask case, and she had strapped the mask on the patient's face, and she turned around to do something to her gas machine and when she turned back around the patient was not on the table and when she looked up (laughs) he was standing in front of her with his eyes open with that mask Mask. 
strapped on his face. And so I've never forgotten that. A bad day. And, and to this day, no matter how much technology, my finger has always been on that post oh. to be sure that patient was on that table. Oh, my but God. She was just that kind of of person and she could take something like sandy's talked about how she was one of the first people or the first crna to talk about ekgs she taught vectors and that's how she made people understand ekgs was she taught about the vectors and how the why the impulses did what they did. Well, what is it? Y'all said she taught the sympathetic nervous system uh-huh. oh, and yeah. just brought it to life. She did. Yes, she did. Acid-based balance she could do. Yeah. That's where I got my thing I say all the time about the sympathy. If you know, all you got to know about the sympathetic nervous system is this. It's a man running from a lion and a cow sitting under the tree chewing its cud. Helen taught me that. Right. And it really is. The sympathetic nervous system is everything you need to run to save your life. And the parasympathetic nervous system is relaxing and is digesting your food under the shade of a tree. <laughs> I remember, see, I was young when I became director of the nurse anesthesia program in 1982. And Helen lived right around the corner from the medical center. It was a block or two from the medical center where our school was. And I remember many trips as a young director mm-hmm. over to Helen. Helen, can I, I talk to you about this and that? So one day I was over there. And she said, Sandy, what did you expect as director? Did you expect everything was going to be fixed and it was going to be smooth? I said, yeah. I thought there'd be some little bumps in the road to begin with, but I was going to get it all straightened out. <laughs> and then there was not going to be any more problems, and it was just going to be easy going. Mm-hmm. And something shows up every day, you know. Mm-hmm. And she says, my dear, if there wasn't problems, why would they need a director? <laughs> of this nurse anesthesia program <laughs> and I, I always re- remember her telling me that so wow. the visits became less That's and less cool. as I got some experience but she was uh she was really uh really a, g- a good person and as we said she mentored many who followed in one way or the other in her footsteps and assumed positions similar to those that she held myself I was a director I became an ANA president Nancy was a founding director of the Raleigh School of Anesthesia became an ANA president Lynn Larson Callahan has been director of many programs <laughs> and um and also became an ANA president and people forget Janice Isler right Janice mm-hmm. Isler was also a Helen, uh, Helen uh, graduate st- yeah a graduate so four out of the what is it seven six seven of our graduates, alums, that have become president of the AANA, four of them were yeah. Helen's graduates. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I was your graduate. You, you were my graduate. And I thought I had another one coming along pretty good, but time wasn't right, but maybe there will be another one. We've got plenty of talented people in kidding. there that are, um, that are doing And they the, have to walk by our pictures every day right, right. <laughs> over there to see yeah. everything there. And yeah. they are they're working hard. So... God bless many through her varied mm-hmm. adventures in life. And she was used, he used this teacher, mentor, and friend to teach us in the very end, I think, compassion, passion, and forward looking attitudes, even in very adverse situations. She had a strong faith, an abiding love for family, love for living. And even in her total blindness for the last four years she left, she did it with dignity. She lived with dignity. You never heard her complain. And she was totally dependent on her caregivers towards the end. 
there was a couple that was in her church that had her power of attorney financially. I had her medical power of attorney. And she ended up with a mass, they thought, in her chest. And she was way in her 90s then. And they said they would have to take her over to the hospital to get it evaluated. And I asked, and then, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? And they said, probably nothing. And she wasn't in any dire distress at that time. So I talked to her family. Otto's wife, Judy, was younger than he was. Mm -hmm. So she was the easiest one to talk to there. And it was decided as a group not to do anything. And uh, so she passed away. I think she was 93 or 94. And it was it was a really blessing at that time. But while she was at um, Old Salem, which is Moravian Retirement Home, we always had a birthday party for Mm -hmm. on July 10th. And a lot of her graduates would come that were in the area. And that was uh, that was very nice. But when I think back on her, I think no one can define when a teacher's life ends because Mm. it really doesn't, does it? No, That's true. The work is carried forward years in the future through those touched by that mentor in the moment. And as a teacher, you never know when you're going to light that spark Mm -hmm. and get that flame going and in whom. And so she... Some of her greatest attributes, I think, was her role she played in continuing education and preparing people for leadership in the highest office of our of our profession, which is president of the AINA. Mm-hmm. But she was a wonderful person. Yep, I agree. I'm glad I got the opportunity to know her. Yeah, I didn't get the opportunity. Yeah, that's but too I've, bad. You but I've out. met four people that she directly influenced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, you have. Yeah. So. She probably could have helped you. <laughs> she probably could have. Yeah. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> yeah, you need some help. <laughs> well, thank you both for, for doing that. Again, another great leader in this wonderful nurse anesthesia community that uh, that you're all a part of. So thank you for doing what you do. It's great to be here yep, again. It is. Yep. It's fun. Great to have you. Well, Sharon? I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and... Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, what are the best ways they can help us out a little bit? Well, like us, share us, tell your friends, put it on social media. But above that, leave us a review. We've just found out that the algorithm within whatever that space is the higher it's the internet y- yeah yeah it's the internet okay. <laughs> i should have i should have called al gore to ask gore, gore invented <laughs> I, uh, uh, but if you leave us a review it pushes us higher in the ratings and yeah. we're in the top 50 medical podcast in the country and we want to go higher yep So leave us a review, but only if it's positive because there's enough negativity in the world. Absolutely. Until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn 
with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Sharon, the season of Christmas and giving is upon us again. Yes, it is. And it keeps coming around quicker and quicker. It certainly does. And during this giving season, you and I and our listeners have an opportunity to give two ways at once. As many of you know, Sharon and I support the ANA Foundation, and I currently serve on their board. The Foundation is a charitable organization devoted to anesthesia research, education, and development all of which are very important to our profession. That's exactly right, Sharon, and it's the very reason to donate. However, we wanted to let you know that you can give to the Foundation during this season in someone's honor as a tribute, or if you've lost a loved one, a donation in their memory. The Foundation will send a card to the family letting them know that you've done this. What a lovely way to memorialize someone. You know, I will be donating in memory of my precious granddaughter, Emma Kate Brick, and that we lost this year. Also, as we're taping this, we found out we lost an icon to this profession. Patrick Downey, a former AANA president, another way to memorialize him is to donate to the foundation. Yes, Sharon, and I really hate we didn't get an opportunity to have Patrick on the podcast. That was always our plan. It's just so sad. If you'd like to donate, just go to the ANA Foundation within the AANA website under Ways to Give and Donate in Tribute or in Memory and Help Your Profession. Thanks so much, and Merry Christmas from myself and Jeremy. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out BeyondTheMaskPodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. 
You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.